0: Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and technologically advanced co host, Chad. <laughs> Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, the Transformers have rolled out. They have rolled out to a win, uh, a very short lived win, um, as the box office is kind of packed right now. But uh, your thoughts are on another Transformers winning the box office this time with only 60 million in the, uh, in the coffers.
1: Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised that it, you know, it didn't do like complete game busters like over a hundred million. I am surprised that it seemed to be like, uh, a, a close race between it and spider verse, um, up until like the last second, which I'm, I don't have the, the numbers right in front of me, but I know it's kind of close. It, it's, is within, right? $5 okay. it's yeah. within
0: five million dollars. Okay. It's within five million dollars on either side, which would mean that you would wait for actuals in the morning to get the
1: certification. Right. So that is a little that is a little surprising. Uh on one hand, that is great for Spider-Verse because it's saying that, you know, the work it seems, you know, cinema score, word of mouth seems to be a really good indicator of legs going forward. And uh so that really well for Spider-Verse, that it almost came in first in the second week within $5 million with another wide release coming out. Uh, but it's got to be concerning for Transformers because after, you know, it ca- the Bay movies for a while were kind of like invincible and they made goo-goves of money and even though a lot of people didn't like them. Um, and then we got Bumblebee, which a lot of people like, but a lot of people didn't see. So you would think going to uh to rise which again like you said I haven't seen it but it seems from what I've heard it seems more akin to Bumblebee than the Bay movies so you think it's a, it's a hybrid
0: mi- it's, it's a, a hybrid mixture of the two um the final third act is a lot of Bayham um a lot of craziness and insanity a lot of um a lot of fake death um i they they went the uh, bumblebee route this time instead of the Optimus route because remember in the Bay movies it was Optimus who was dead for three fourths of a movie <laughs> this yes. time they took bumblebee out of the movie for three fourths of the movie, which is very odd Why? but um but yeah the last the third act in the battle, final battle, which includes you know um nothing short of transformer's Iron Man um you know is very bay like but the story and the Motivations for the characters and the drama in um, the feelings all very much match what Bumblebee was. Um, I have my own issues with the producers, especially after they put out statements talking about how they weren't really concerned with the Bay movies
1: and how far they connected. <laughs> so the, I wish I'd seen those comments, but so that reminds I me. I mean, the of... comments
0: were ba- the comments were basically, we don't have to worry because they didn't have cell phones in nineteen so we can get away with you know still saying that 2007 was the first time that the generalized public became aware of the transformers and they do a good job in that regard this time around of moving moving all the main action to right outside of Montepico. so you know the, there's not a, there's no humans around to see all the destruction the battle all they see is a giant black cloud at different places where you know um um where your, your main uh, protagonist antagonist is, is coming in, coming through. Um, so yeah, they got that part. Cool. But you know, you, you totally contradict age of extinction. Now, granted, no one actually remembers age of extinction except for you. Cause you slept through most, through half of it. Um, but like making the eater of worlds, like in that particular Canon, which they said, this is leading to the seven movie. Making making him, like, outside of Earth in this movie when you very much made a point that he was Earth in the last movie, um, in the last night, was very, very weird. Uh, and, and I was like, well, maybe they'll retcon it and they'll, like, make it fit with, like, he'll get stuck on Earth in 1994.
1: Nope. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> um, I, They really should just be like, you know, this is a whole new... Timeline. Yeah,
0: that j- that would be my thing. Is like you don't have to lead to Bay. You don't have to lead to two thousand seven. There's nothing requiring you to do that. I
1: mean, because I mean, with the comments they said, I mean that would all of that works except for the fact that in the first movie is when Optimus comes to Earth for the first time. Like he comes there, he's one of those the, the asteroid Autobots that comes there and scans the stupid Mack truck that Michael Bay just loves. And that's, and takes that form. I mean, with him already here on earth and having like battles and stuff that kind of makes that movie moot, just, just be done with it. I understand Bay's a producer and whatnot, but I mean, he just needs to sit back, collect his check and y'all be like, it's, it's fully rebooted. It's rebooted from Bumblebee going forward. That's it.
0: Especially considering the Autobots don't have the greatest record with, you know, the U S government. Like in the Bay movies, like the government is very like paranoid and weird about the Autobots, right? Right. And yet in this movie, in this movie, it's like the Joes.
1: <sighs> um. Yeah, the Joes. I, I've I've heard about that. Um. I mean, okay. I guess we go. If you wanted to see Transformers, you'd have seen it by now. So just walk me through how how they show the Joes and how how this goes out.
0: So basically, the setup for the movie is that old, old boy, who is your central protagonist, has a brother who's dying of cancer, who who has leukemia, and his him and his mother are too poor to afford the treatment. And so he's at the beginning of the movie, he's going around trying to um trying to interview for um, private defense contractor jobs, like security jobs, because he was in the National Guard or the Army at one point. And at the end of the movie, you come full circle. You start the movie with him getting ready for his for, for an interview, and you end the movie with him getting ready for an interview. The issue is the second interview is with a guy who you know is looking at his resume and is going, you know, this doesn't look like there's too much here that we can really work with. And then he brings up his mission with the um, the uh, Transformers, but he doesn't say where it was or you know give very many details about it. And the guy who's you know with the GI Joe organization. Oh, you mean that thing in Montepico? And uh, that leads to the revelation of here's my business card. Just take it. Um, you know, here's our secret base behind this transport, this uh, this delivery service. Um, if you'd like to work with us, that'd be great. All right. And and they show the base and all the little uh, all the little things, and uh, that's that. Okay. So there's oh. there's there's no Channing, there's no Channing Tatum there's <laughs> no Rock there's no Channing Tatum there's no Rock there's no tied to the former GI Joe there's there's no Cobra like um, there's no Snake Eyes it's just a generalized guy who I guess is big like the pop that we got in the theater was for the shipping company um, because apparently like. People realized as soon as they saw the shipping company what what the setup was. Um, but I mean, cool. I mean, we've had rumors of a Transformers GI Joe, uh, you know, uh, team up movie for a hot minute now. Mm-hmm. Um, Paramount has Paramount through Hasbro has both those franchises, so it made somewhat sense that they would team them up. But it was kind of just like a random thing. It wasn't like a a full blown like. Oh my God, that's Shane Tatum, kind of thing.
1: I mean, okay, so this makes all the sense in the world. GI Joe and Transformers have done this stuff in the comics. I don't think there's been cartoons yet, but you know, people have been aware that they're. I mean, with the way the Bay movies worked, there was an obvious place to put GI Joe because there was military presence in those movies. Special forces, yeah, old type boy, people.
0: old yeah, old old boy from Las Vegas, Josh, whatever his name is. Joshua, yes. Hewitt or whatever his name is. like they, they that was kind of the interlude that you just used the military instead of using g i Joe
1: so so doing this makes sense. um now, the question is, well, it makes sense logically. The question is, does it make sense um financially for like studios, because g i Joe franchise has been an underachiever its entire existence uh, Frank, uh, Transformers transformer seems to be on the downswing. So maybe they're thinking, you know, putting it together, you can joke both of them, which which is a play to make. But I think it's going to depend on what this movie does and what they expected this movie to do. If they expect this one to do Bay numbers, that's probably off the card. If they expect, expect it to do Bumblebee or better numbers, and then we'll go from there, uh, that that might be something that happens. True, but as
0: we talked about on last week's podcast, don't put it in the very crowded summer like you put it in the very crowded December,
1: well, see but cause, yes, Bumblebee was in December, but all those Bay movies were in the summer, they're thinking of it as a summer tempo, and not just them, but I think P- uh, studios in general are going to have to rethink loading everything into the summer, especially since you if you need the revenue of legs and you see there's a possibility of having legs, uh you just got to spread your calendar out more, and everybody well, yeah, gonna to because the biggest.
0: Because- because now we're at the stage where PLEs are what's going to determine your box office. Like, if you can get a three-week stint in March on the PLEs without an interruption, that's a better bet than you know one week on the PLEs
1: in the summer. Um, for the uninitiated, what's PLE? Premium large format. So we're talking your IMAXs. Cinemark yeah. Mark does the. Your the XD screen. Your
0: IMAXs, your real, your your real HD, your real XDs um your 4d cinemas all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. um and yeah
1: that's a um, premium Yeah, premium large ex, ex uh, exhibition i believe is the term yeah i hadn't i hadn't heard the term until you used it not but I, I knew what you were talking about um last time we talked so i understood what it was but i know a lot of people don't just want to put it out there but um i had i hadn't thought of them being such prime real estate until this year i I mean I know they create more revenue because their techies are more expensive but it seems the studios are coveting that space more now than ever before.
0: Well because if you can screen Fast 9 on an IMAX screen uncontested for 3 weeks or 2 weeks like it was and pay $20 a head in a 300 seat auditorium you can make more more quickly than a hundred and fifty seat auditorium where the film runs three times a day. Right. At, at like at like average ticket price, which is like twelve bucks or whatever. It's a smart play. Yeah, but when you have seven different movies buying for screen those those large format screens like right now you've got guardians had those screens for a hot minute it doesn't have those screens mm-hmm. fastx had it for a little while they don't have those screens anymore uh transformers has those screens this week but they won't have them next week because of flash flash will have them for a week or two a week and then indiana jones will come behind it and then indiana jones will have those screens and then after Indy, there will be another blockbuster in july that takes those screens mm-hmm. so like it, it's you're Whereas you start the summer with Guardians, which has what two or three weeks of of exclusivity on the PLEs, and then you have uh, X Fast X that has two weeks of of real estate. Now you have a bunch of movies having one week of PLEs, and yeah, that that's a, not going to be enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the case with uh, a Spider Verse. Uh, it had it for just last week, and then had to give it up for um, for Transformers.
0: Um, and most theaters around here are splitting time, splitting screenings between the two. So, like, there's not an exclusive exclusivity to it. So, like, half the show times for the IMAX are in are for Spider Verse, and the other half are for Transformers. I, I think Warner Brothers will change that booking come next week for Flash because they're going to need it. Um, but as of right now, there are half the show times in IMAX are for Spider
1: Verse. That's that is very curious. Let me look. Um, because I, you know, I saw Spider-Verse um the weekend it came out, and but I I wanted to see it again in IMAX. So I made sure to go out on like last Tuesday because I I checked times for um, starting Thursday and the, you know, Transformers are taking the screens all Thursday. I didn't even think that they might split the screen, so I haven't looked. Um curious to see if they're doing it over here too. Let's see.
0: Indeed. It's just it it's that's the way it's going to go. You're going to need that screen for as long as possible to get as many as many screenings as possible at that higher ticket price because your box office is increasingly front ended. So like, you know, what happens in you know, what happens in those first two weeks can be a very can can be like sixty percent of your total revenue. Just ask a film like, you know, Ant Man the Wasp Quantumania.
1: <laughs> it looks like they're not splitting screens here it looks like it just it's just transformers with imax yep that is interesting
0: well I mean I think it also could could speak to audience attendance and what is drawing more butts into seats at the moment yeah um because as you mentioned the word of mouth on uh the word of mouth on spider-verse is very strong
1: yeah transformers not so much. I haven't heard too many like glowing things yeah that um... hmm. I just didn't. Know, I didn't think they would have that kind of freedom to uh, to get off those screens and give them to Spider Verse when Transformers is, is the wide release.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's about exclus- exclusivity, and different studios have different policies when it comes to that with different theater chains. Um, it's just it's all it's all it's all a jumbled mess. But there's also the fact that this is the first true summer back from COVID. This is the first true summer where you don't go more than a week with, you know, something in the theater, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's also playing a factor here.
1: That is true. Yeah. They, they're still trying to, to, to figure things out post COVID and, you know, that it's good and bad. Um, I I just, you know, I hope they don't learn the, all the wrong lessons while they're figuring this out. But at the end of the day, these studios are corporations and corporations tend to learn the worst list from everything.
0: As we learned from a, from a very fascinating vulture article this week where uh, they broke down the, uh, the streaming stuff and how that's been impacting the, uh, the industry and how there's now a clawback after, uh, after many years of growth um, because, you know, investors have figured out that these major studios can't, Generate the same kind of revenue from streaming subscriptions that they used to be able to from, you know, ads.
1: You know, I hear that and I'm still, I'm just, I cannot believe that these people that do business like couldn't figure that out ahead, of, couldn't figure that out ahead of time. Like when everybody was shifting the streaming, uh, granted, I knew it was a pandemic, but outside of that, I'm like, how is this going to make you money? because it's you know um, they're all about growth and stuff, and streaming is while it might be the future. it's the resources in my mind, the resources are resources are finite. Yeah, you can get subscribers, you can get new subscribers, but it's going to come a point where it's just going to be like,, um, that's all we can do, partner. we can we can go up a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but we can't do much more than that. So how do we how does this make us money? To keep making all these things to keep making us money, I, I I'm shocked that I'm just shocked that they could never they couldn't see this coming when I made dummy on the street and I'm like this is this is obviously how this is only, this is the only way this is ever gonna end.
0: Well, the thing about it is you rep- like you you've lost revenue and you can't regenerate that revenue. Like th- like Vince wasn't like Vince had the pay per view model. And he was charging everybody fifty fifty thirty thirty bucks a month for non-WrestleMania pay-per-views and seventy-five dollars for mania. And he was getting 1.2 million buys at $75 a pop or $30 a pop. Well, when you change that to a subscription base, well now they're paying you nine ninety-nine a month, but they get all that same pay-per-view content now for that nine ninety-nine. And so, you know. Once you hit a certain number, say 2 or 3 million subscribers, you're now bringing in more money than you were under the previous pay-per-view model. The difference is Vince was never relying on advertisers. like He was relying on the pay-per-view money. As long as the pay-per-view money was somewhat equal to what the streaming money would be, he was going to be okay, especially with his investors because, again, he's not a Fortune 5. Disney is a whole different deal. Netflix is a whole different deal. If you're spending billions of dollars a year on content creation, you need to be bringing in billions of dollars a year in revenue. Exactly. And and if you can't, if you're offering a free, an ad-free service, that means you're providing the service to these people for nine ninety-nine a month, and literally like three billion people have to pay you ten bucks a month in order for you to even sniff a profit based on how much money you're pumping into into content, and so. You know, now that's why you see Netflix offering an ad-supported tier. It's why before Disney bought Fox, Hulu was offering ad-supported tiers. It's You still need the money from the advertisers in order to make it profitable because you can't on subscription services alone, exactly. um, subscription fees alone, unless you're going to charge everybody $45 a month, which is basically at that point cable.
1: Uh, oh, I mean, I think we're back to – we're pretty much to the point where it's cable again. Um, when um, what is that? Verizon they're offering uh with their with their cable package they're they're offering um bundle packages of it's like three streamers I forget which one I think Netflix um I know it's not Disney it's, it might be Netflix HBO and something else they're offering them all bundled up together included with your cable so I I mean I think that's where and I think like Zaslav said something like that that's that's where we're headed to um at first cable companies and things like that offering bundles uh, of these packages and then more of these companies eating each other to absorb their streaming services and we're going to just well we're actually in the worst than we are before because cable is one big like you know conglomerate as it is it's like a few big people own all the cable companies and you have to go through one of them it's just going to consolidate more and make it worse for everybody else because the, the, they're just going to eat each other to get these streaming companies. Um uh, But yeah, yeah. uh Like the, the, the only way I can figure out that these smart people thought that streaming could be self-sustaining was, um I guess them they looked at Netflix, but they had to be looking at Netflix when Netflix had everybody's stuff and they, and they would rotate old stuff from everybody in, on and off. So it's like, oh, I can can see all the Warner Brothers stuff here every now and then. I can see all the Sony stuff here every now and then, Paramount every now and then. I know it'll rotate on and off, but, you know, even if it's old or something I haven't seen in a while, and it's here on Netflix, I can go get it. It was a whole Netflix being the hub of all this stuff. And, yeah, if you're counting on, if it's a hub of everything, they can sprinkle in new stuff. You probably can keep more people that way. But now you... Everybody's so separated you can't just depend on your old catalog because people want new things, and those new things just cost a lot of money and it, and it was the money you were going to spend was never going to it could have like the money you bring in could probably make it even, but more unlikely you're going to have to spend more money to 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 keep those subscribers It was never it was never like this golden goose profit center that they tried to make it out to be. I just never could see it.
0: Well, the idea, I think, was an unending subscriber growth. Like the stock market and the, sharehold, like the shareholders and the stock, the stock market was rewarding the shareholders and the company for continued subscriber growth. Once subscriber growth flatlines after a period of time, that's when you start getting the, the market overcorrecting itself, Because then it's like, okay, well now you flatlined. You're no longer profitable. Like Disney, Fox, uh, Disney, Universal, Paramount, um, Apple, Amazon, all of them looked at the the uh, netflix model and was like, oh, we can do that because we have our own stuff. The problem was that like the whole point of Netflix gaining all those subscribers was because there was a lot of stuff in one place with some new stuff that was kind of cool. And the problem for Netflix is they spent billions of dollars on other stuff that's cool, but none of it has been as has hit as well as something like, you know, stranger things
1: or orange is the new black. Um, I think what you said uh, about them just expecting like, you know, continued subscriber growth uh, that kind of hit for me because um, like I don't understand the mindset of like this capitalistic mindset of unyielding growth. To me, it's like growth is finite. It's that ne- you're never going to grow infinitely because there's only so many people here growth is always going to hit a point where it just stops, but companies are based on the principle of unyielding growth. We're, we're just going to keep growing and growing. And that's how we just just success. So if, if they
0: and they were being rewarded for it, that's the thing. Netflix was always running deficits. Like Netflix has never been fully profitable, but right they were they were profitable enough because their subscriber growth kept going up and up and up.
1: Right, and that and the subscriber growth is what kept their stock prices keep going up, which made them so infinitely profitable until it stopped. But it was always going to stop. That's my I granted. I, It's just me. I'm an English guy looking in um, and I've talked to this. I've talked about this with my brother who is a business guy and he's like, and, and I've told him this, he's like, but that's just, you know, that's kind of just the principles of economics and capitalism. It's just like, it's just supposed to be the way to be successful is to continuously grow. And what big companies tend to do, just from my observation is once they hit that wall, that's when they start cutting stuff. To keep to keep the profits going uh even if they're making money but they're not growing enough profits they'll just start cutting stuff because that's what they do but with the streaming things it's like if you're i I just can't it just it's more it's more stupid to me with streaming because you're you're judging success by subscriber growth so your 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 assets that you're gaining are subscribers which are literal literal people you know there's only a certain number of people capable of participating in your service. And and with that, we're just talking, we're not even, you're not like factoring in like families and whatnot that actually live under one roof. That what you're getting even more. So unlike the the money, which you can they can run magic and do, in my opinion, inhumane things to people to to continue their growth. This it, you know what it is. Your resources, people, and you're only being judged by not by information you get from people, not from anything else. You're literally being judged by the amount of people you can get. You cannot treat that like an infinite thing because it's very much finite and you know it. So it's just so stupid to me.
0: Yeah, Um, it's stupid, but it's also the basis of profit and profit is king and profit is all that matters. People don't matter. Um, you know, workers don't matter. Uh, worker profitability, does worker work success, is only defined by how much good they can do for the company, and not uh, personal enrichment or personal growth. Um, it, it's that's what it is, and it's it's crazy, it's insane, and it's not a good business model. But it's where we're at, and I'm um, you know hopeful that uh, this overcorrection will mean that we. Uh, we start seeing less streaming services, and maybe some consolidation of some. And maybe we can, uh, maybe even I don't know, get some get some of these these streamers to give some of their stuff back to Netflix, uh, which has already happened with Disney. Disney's you know started to lease some of its stuff back. So so we'll see where the future holds.
1: Yeah, HBO's already done it too. Uh, I've seen um, DC stuff, particularly the cartoons. They're back on on Netflix. They're back in both places. So.
0: Well, the um, thing is the, the, the licensing agreements are also an issue when those, those different things come up. Uh, the bigger issue I think for me that most people have an issue, a problem with right now is the tax write-off situation, and that's a situation that can only be addressed by Congress, so good luck.
1: Yeah,
0: they can't do anything. I mean that's, they're the only people who could fix the, the tax loophole that, it, that exists, that these giant corporations can take a, a write-off to save themselves and bury the art and the artist like the artist never gets any residuals from it ever again because it's nowhere streaming because they take the write-off because it's not bringing in as many viewers that you know who knew that uh direct to direct to disney plus airbud seven would not uh would not bring enough
1: <laughs> viewers into the uh, disney plus yeah, but um i mean uh, just a quick aside for congress uh you know this is they're very much pro-corporations but they're very much anti-Hollywood. So what, what would they do? I mean,
0: it would be, it would be interesting, but it, it's, it's a business strategy to help improve, uh, improve profit margins for large, large conglomerates. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, which direction they went. But, uh, but we'll see if it ever actually comes to them. Um, so, Chad, you have seen Into the Spider-Verse, and the Spider-Verse has taken over everybody's mind um your thoughts sir, uh live at on an animated uh miles morales on the continuation of that story and uh what lord miller were able to
1: um well before i start um i just want to ask you did you remember that this is going to be a two-parter yes okay because Um, it was
0: because it was announced as a two-parter right after into the spider-verse was dominating because remember they released it at a christmas season Yep. And just kept having legs all the way to, like, February. Um, and they announced that they, they it was going to be into the Spider-Verse and then beyond, uh, beyond the Spider-Verse. Right. Uh,
1: I, I was just curious because uh, so uh, everybody that talked to me about it, like, the first thing they were saying is um, they were just upset that it ended on a cliffhanger. And I'm like, they said it was going to be a two-parter. I, and I just
0: yeah, I, but, it, but they didn't they didn't market it that way. Like, um they didn't market it that way, and not a lot of people outside of like our spear understood that because it's not like they not like they numerated them on on the internet as into the Spider Verse parts one and two. It's they're three complete, completely separate movies with three completely separate titles. Well, no, like fast. See fast when they tech.
1: when they when they first announced it, it was like. Uh into the it was like across the Spider-Verse part one and part two. Um when it had when it had the original October. Date. The name changed uh when they moved it to March. because I think originally it was gonna be so it was going yeah, it was to an be an
0: October release, then it was a March release, and then it was a Junior release. Right. But that's also because we've waited five
1: years. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I mean I get it. I know that I know that me and you were we're like into this and not a lot of people are, but I was just yeah. I was just kind of shocked have, by you it.
0: don't have somebody like you don't have somebody like Vin Diesel out there for Sony talking about what's coming next while the thing that is here is currently around. Right. Like you know, Vin is hype already hyping Eleven. Like you don't have some. Lord and Miller aren't those guys. Like they don't go. They're not going around promoting the fact that this is part one of two. Like they they're just focused on this movie and making it the best that they can be. So. Okay, so and to, it makes it fun, and it and it makes that, that ending fun for the reaction it gets from the crowd. It like, was, yeah. you know, I'll never for, yeah, because like I'll never forget being in a theater and watching Infinity War for the first time, and and you know, fans' reaction
1: to the the blip. So oh, yeah, it w- it was actually I remember watching it the second time with me full with me fully knowing what's about to happen and nobody else in the building having a clue. And I, I stopped watching the movie and I started watching everybody else. And, uh, that was, I did enjoy that cause they, everybody was wigging out and I'm just like, Ooh, y'all just don't know. But to this movie, um, as the, the you know, as animation is one of my, my favorite things as an animated movie, I mean, this thing is, it is just, it's breathtaking. It's like, it is beautiful to look at. Um, they and they do so many new and innovative things. And it it I, I it makes me, as an animation fan, it makes me happy just to like look at it. And and I've and just today somebody put a gif from the movie up of when um when Miguel is uh finally getting his hands on Miles and and they were like, if you pause this gif at any point, it looks like, you know, like a painting like artwork and it's true and that's that and that's true for the whole movie so on that hand it was i mean it was phenomenal um as a movie um you know i'm i'm on record as saying i hate everything um multiverse but these movies have found a way to tie in they they the story they want to tell they tie it into all the multiversal shenanigans going on And they make them both fit and flow. Where I don't mind that we're doing this thing that that really breaks. They're sending this dude back out. Wait, uh, which game? I'm I'm I'm
0: I'm I'm, I'm, I'm watching Stanford and uh, Stanford and Texas, dude. So so we live in like 2023 America, where like pitchers throw like 70 pitches and then they pull them. This dude is going back out for the ninth. And he's already thrown a hundred and eleven pitches, hundred and twenty-five pitches.
1: Oh man! Hey, anyway, wait—are are, are they on the verge of getting eliminated?
0: No, well, it says the winner take all game. Oh, sorry, one hundred and thirty-six. He just oh, threw yeah, his 137.
1: Yeah, he just threw his one
0: hundred and thirty-seventh. One hundred and thirty-seventh.
1: That's yeah, that's insane. Yeah, you got you can't do that to those kids, man. But uh...
0: like, this is a kid with pro prospects. He was drafted, and it's like. I can't even imagine the uproar that would occur if, you know, if they let Paul Skeens go 138 pitches,
1: man, they would, they would, they would revolt. We would revolt in the sense of that kind of crap, um, that you hate to see it. 140
0: pitches. I mean, just, you just hit a guy, almost hit a guy, but 140 pitches in the bottom of the knife.
1: No, nah, man, you gotta, you gotta pull that kid. You,
0: anyway, back to the spider verse.
1: Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, you're you're right. The cityscapes alone are paint, breathtaking paintings,
1: and and just and the different worlds all have the different feels. Like uh, they, I, I heard them specifically talk about Quinn um, um, Stacy's world, where they wanted to feel like a mood ring, and they also wanted to to feel like I guess one of her comics was more of a watercolor comic, so the the it changes with her mood, and you really see it at the end when she's with her dad and how it goes from really, really dark to really light in these lighter pastel kind of colors. Um, and, and, and the way each character moves, because you're dealing with a whole bunch of spider people, but, and their powers are all similar. And in my head, the way they, the way their powers work, they have total body control. So they can anything they want to do with their body, they can do. So how do you make people that all can do that kind of thing move different and and they they're able to do it like when you can tell of all of the spider people when is the most graceful of all of them uh with all care again total body control you should everybody should be graceful but she is like so fluid and graceful like a dancer and that's part of her thing because she it looks like she had that kind of dance thing and then you take like spider-man india who his moves um are based in like an indian martial arts stuff and he moves different than she does, and and Miguel is different than the, making just little things like that. A lot of animated things, these characters all are going to kind of move the same, but no, these they're all very distinct, and and it all feeds into the story. And the story is that of Miles, and and this one I would say it's of Miles and Gwen, and how everything services that story. Even if we're doing the multiverse and all these cameos and all these Easter eggs, it's still to service the story, and that's why I think it's. uh, I mean, I haven't seen a bunch of movies this year, but it's the best movie I've seen this year, and uh, I think it it should. As of now, um, I think it should be the best picture, the best animated picture winner. I don't think there's. I haven't seen anything else, granted, but if we go for history, it'll be whatever Disney out so to will be the pixar movie elementals and the Disney movie i wish that comes out later this year um uh there's something else the whatever yeah, the been, elemental
0: is not getting elemental is not getting great word of mouth already
1: i haven't even seen the word of mouth I, I i haven't even tried to look yet i just know that it's not really getting any kind of reception which sucks because it's the first pixar movie in the theater in like three four years um it's been since onward was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but, um, neither here nor there, I don't think any of those can beat into the spider verse. And I think, again, as of right now you have 10 spots, I think spider verse should get one of those 10. I'm not saying it should win it, but it should be at least recognized at for a best picture.
0: I mean, I agree. Um, I think, I think it should be up there for best animated feature. I agree that it should be up there for best original, best adapted screenplay. Um, because I think the screenplay is just excellent. I also think score and and uh, cinematography should also be involved. Yes, it's just a matter of whether or not you can get the Academy on board, and they're finally going to pull them at 150 pitches. By the way, um, 150. Good God, man. Um, and um, I like it. Just whether or not you can get the majority or a plurality of the um of the Academy on board with. Making it giving an animated feature that kind of love. I mean, remember, as soon as we saw a Lego movie, we thought, uh, we thought this was it, there wasn't anything, uh, anything that was going to top this, and it didn't even end up getting nominated.
1: So, yeah, that was um, what what this one has yeah. going that that one didn't is the fact that the first one actually won, so it has like it, it brings a little cachet with it. Yes, it, it, it provided
0: us, provide us with uh, Academy Award winner Avi Arad,
1: yeah, and. and I don't like giving that dude credit, but apparently it was his idea. To, uh he's the one that threw out using Spot, Spot um, which the way they use him and how he's going forward uh, looks like uh, you know even a broken broken clock is right twice, twice a day. So
0: yeah, but I don't I don't necessarily think that Spot is like I don't think that movie is villain dependent because I don't see Spot as the as the main antagonist i see miguel as the main antagonist of that film and the the tension between him and peter and the whole breaking of the multiverse thing spot just kind of seems to be doing his own thing in the background kind of and it's not until the end where you're like oh maybe this guy is a real danger
1: I i think that's the whole the way they're playing spot um is honestly to what he he normally is he I mean, Spot's a joke, and the, but the whole reason he's going out to do all the things he's doing now is because Miles treated him like a joke, and it's not really Miles' fault because Spot is a damn joke. That's he's he's been a punchline in comics for years, uh, so they they played on that. And I don't, yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think he's not the driving force. They of, left him in, by the way, for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many pitches he gave did he up add? a double. Uh he's at one fifty-five. And they better win this game. It j just, just so he doesn't have to get uh And they just got the final out. So it's over? Yep, 156 pitches. All right. I guess get on you do worked out. Anyway, back to the spot. But like uh
0: Yeah, I mean like that's but that was just kind of the the more it seemed the movie to me was more interested in Mile and Gwen at the beginning more interested in Miles in the middle, more interested in Miles and the other Spider-Men in the, in the middle. And then in the end, more interested in Miguel and Spidey than Miguel and, and uh, Miles than it was spot spot was kind of there. He popped up literally in every now and then to remind you of what he was doing. They give a really quick uh, tie-in to the original movie and how it works with spot. Um, And, but like it it feels like the movie's vastly more interested in three or four other subplots a, over the course of the movie than you know that
1: one. Well the what I think what the movie's really try to get at is that uh you know the first one was about anybody could wear the mask and any anybody can be anybody can be Spider-Man. And this is about this one is about um you know um like the acceptance of that because the like the directors have on record said that, you know, Miguel is like standing, like he is saying things that people that don't accept Miles in real life are saying. They're saying that, you know, you are not, you're not Spider-Man. And this movie is very much saying, um, you don't listen to those people. You are, you are worthy of being Spider-Man. You are Spider-Man. And so the spot's not, spot's not serving that in this part. I think he'll be. He'll be more serving that that part of the story in the next part when it comes to showing to Miguel that I know why, like, I understand why you're saying I can't do what I'm doing. But again, this is my story and this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show you that you're wrong. And that's going to that's going to come down to him dealing with the spot in the next movie. But spot in this movie, it, he's just kind of to get he just kind of to get everything going. He is like the inciting incident. Him. Him meeting Miles is an exciting, inciting incident because that's what gets them going after the spot, and, and then Miles seeing Gwen again. So, I mean, he he serves a purpose in this one, but he's not like yeah, he's not the antagonist. The antagonist of this film is Miguel.
0: What did you think of the amount of Gwen in this movie? As they are basically co leads,
1: um, I liked it. It again, it because it it fits with what their uh, it fits with the story they're trying to tell because it's. Miles and Gwen are sharing this story, yet while we're explicitly hearing that, you know, people are doubting Miles, and this is, Miles is, this is, the story is to reaffirm that Miles is very much a Spider-Man. Um, it's kind of the same for Gwen. She's not having, it thrown in her face, quite like Miles is, but she she's questioning her belonging, not as Spider-Man, but just like, you know, as a person, especially after her, her father rejects her. And then it's, so she gets that acceptance at the end of this movie, whereas Miles is the, the, the affirmation of Miles as Spider-Man comes in the next movie. So, uh, you know, it works out to have her kind of be like leading this journey for Miles. Like she's leading the journey two miles and then three miles. And then it's all, I would assume Miles would be, Miles was, it, it, miles was the central focus of this one, but it'll probably be less, you know, Gwen's arc is kind of done in this one sort of be more about Miles' art going forward. I think that's how that'll go.
0: Yeah. And that was kind of the feel I got that this was, like Miles was almost a supporting character in this movie, which was kind of a unique way to go. Um, but I think it, it served the story that they wanted to tell really well. And I think it also accentuated the other characters in the universe in a way that was, was pleasing. you know. And it also very much, you know, allows spot time to be built up and get the Get the power surge and get everything that he needs to be an actual formidable opponent for Miles to get his affirmation. Right. I agree with that. Um, what were your thoughts on Cyberpunk
1: Spider-Man? I oh, mean Spider-Punk? Yeah. Um, just because because of the way the story goes, I didn't really like him at first because Miles doesn't like him at first. Oh, uh, but Miles well Miles kind of kind of thinks
0: that him and Gwen is a thing. Right. Which is right. never never really uh never really
1: actually confirmed either way. Right. Uh, but because because this is Miles' story, I want Miles to win. And and at that moment Obi is like an a an impediment to that. So but much like as the movie goes on, Miles comes to uh trust and respect him. And so did I. And I and and from that, I can see how, why everybody else thought, thought he was cool because they wanted, and they, they specifically wanted someone to make Miles feel like he wasn't cool. And they chose this route. And I think it worked because lots of people are uh, team Spider-Punk now coming out of this movie. They, they're, they they're, I think he was, for me, as either him or Spider-Man India as the new, like the, the breakout character from this, but uh, I get it. I get why people thought he was cool. He was not my favorite, but again, I went through that journey with Miles of not liking him, learning to respect him, and like, and then liking him uh, towards the end of the film.
0: Yeah. And what did you think of uh, what did you think of the Spider Man India set piece? There, I thought that was really well done and really cool.
1: I loved it. It was again, we, it's a a new background. The the way, like, just that whole thing like the introduction to him and then you know we have the the exposition trick in this where you know every time we get a new spider we kind of get an exposition dump and he and his showing like those exposition jumps are explaining the character and showing their the the differences between each one of them and how this this spider-man is like the happiest go lucky of the spider-man because he hasn't had anything bad happen to him yet and he's incredible he's he's self-confident on the verge of being arrogant, but he's also charming in the same way. And you get that through his exposition. And then you get to this the set piece where you have all these different spiders, again, doing all these different moves, um, taking you on the spot, trying to save the people. And they were able to weave all that together and, and not lose the story of it all. Because I mean, in that scene, we're introducing Spider-Man India, we meet Spider-Punk. Uh, we, we, keep the tension up between uh Miles and Gwen and and Miles' insecurity with Spider-Punk, um, dealing with Spider-Man India saving his girlfriend, and then uh having to deal with saving her father, Gwen hiding secrets from Miles, Miles doing the heroic thing and thinking he did a good job. And then what it comes down to is we this world might not exist anymore because of what Miles did. All of that comes through in this fast-paced action set piece, I, I mean, and that is it's just masterful work.
0: Yeah, it, it was really something that spoke to me and resonated with me. The storytelling structure that they use there, and the amount of information that's given to the audience, and the way that it just works naturally in a in the movie, and and not to mention the way that the animation style is done. Which again, they kind of gave each, as you said earlier, gave each individual character's world their own kind of feel, mm-hmm. and it really resonated and hit home with me in the uh, in the India portion um it's it's just it's just amazing to think that those guys got fired from a Wars. <laughs> uh,
1: i mean to 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 be fair they they did they're not directing this one, they're producers, and they wrote this, they didn't direct it. But your point still stands because uh, they seem to be very good storytellers, and how to, how do storytellers just good dismissed from a Star Wars film? Uh,
0: well, apparently because their story of Han Solo was different from Lawrence Gaveston. Uh-huh. So, um, so Chad, let's talk about this thing that I don't want to talk about.
1: Oh wait, wait, let's wait, wait. talk. One, wait, one more thing with Spider Verse before we leave, because I've been saying it every time. And I, I just wanted to say... Were you, on the
0: yeah, let, let, Were you surprised there was no post-credit?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Not that. Um, no, I wasn't surprised because I knew it was a um, a cliffhanger, a two-parter. So I, I kind of figured there wouldn't be any. I um, We're going to get that in the next one, I, I'm sure. Um, and not even the Donald Glover of it all, which we can discuss real quick. But what I want to say was um, the Lego sequence in this movie... Uh, uh, every time it's come up, I've been saying it. So that sequence came about because when the first trailer for Into the Spider for Above Across the Spider Verse came out, uh, somebody on the internet went and recreated that trailer shot for shot using uh, with Legos. The, the directors and producers saw it; they liked it so much they were like, "Let's go hire that guy and have them do this scene for the movie." Uh, which, as you saw, is what happened. What what they found out was when they went to uh, when they went to find the guy, they find out that that guy was a fourteen-year-old kid, and they went ahead and they hired this kid. And now this fourteen-year-old kid has a sequence in what's possibly the the second biggest animated movie of the year so far. Um, uh, he's a he's a, he's a black a little black kid from uh from Canada. So that's like he seemed like he wanted to go to art school anyway to do this kind of stuff, and this is a hell of a thing to have when you're your low, on your resume i've got a scene in the big budget movie how about you let me in so I, I just love pointing that out
0: yeah i saw that story too and that's it's really heartwarming and and really amazing that they the filmmakers took that opportunity to give that to that kid that was uh it's kind of awesome yeah yeah um and the dog lover of it all um obviously he has history with the mcu um as miles's uncle in the mcu he has history with the p i think it's the ps4 video game, right? where he, he has a tie to that, and also just people have associated with him as a live-action Miles Morales for a hot minute. Um, so your thoughts, sir, on him popping up
1: in the uh, multiversal prison? I, there's so many levels to, to like about this, from Donald Glover be, being the person that inadvertently started the creation of Miles by mentioning being a Black Peter Parker, and that's what gave Brian Michael Bendis the idea to create Miles from Donald Glover being the first person to voice Miles in one of those uh, Disney animated Spider-Man cartoons to Donald Glover being in Homecoming as Aaron Davis the Prowler. And then showing up here and sharing a scene with Miles. And, and there's a moment where, you know, neither one of them is saying anything and they're just looking at each other. And it's like an acknowledgement of the, the shared, like their shared history together. Between Donald Glover and Miles. Uh now and making him himself a live action version of the Prowler, it opens up the possibilities that he is a Prowler in the MCU, and that's who this is, or that he's an Aaron Davis from another world. Uh, I think it's I think it's more or less just an Easter egg. Maybe it'll pay off uh, in the MCU going forward. I would I would think if we're going to finally get. If we're going to get Miles and officially get Miles in the MCU, I think he would they would want him to come back to do that. So this might be a nod to that. But I just like the it is more about the sharedness between Miles and Donald Glover for me. So it was fun seeing them on screen. And, you know, we can speculate about the, the repercussions from that, but it, that doesn't change. that that, that's that's the best thing i got from
0: it yeah indeed it was it was a really really fun thing there was a lot of really fun things that movie while it does deal with heavy themes and does have some great dramatic tension is above all fun and uh and i think that that's what works well for that franchise and for that character um so chad there is good word of mouth on the indiana jones movie and that scares the living crap out of me
1: (laughs) Is there a good word about... I, have been, I, well, I haven't been looking. So you I mean, it,
0: it's basically everything that I've seen. I have most of the code words muted on Twitter, but the ones that I don't have muted still pop up because, you know, we have mutuals who see the thing, who have mm-hmm. seen the thing. Um, like, it's basically, it, it takes some swings. It does some good stuff. It's better than Crystal Skull by a long shot. It's a good send-off. It, it does some really fun and different things. Um, it was a, a movie that I had fun with. And that kind of scares me, especially having just finished watching Crystal Skull and doing a podcast about it. Like, you know, the movie isn't as bad as I remember, but there are still things that just it does not feel like an Indiana Jones. And I'm just concerned going into this that we're we're not going to feel like an Indiana Jones movie Um, there. They they did say that, of course, movie was announced in 2012. So it took a dozen, you know, it took thirteen, eleven, or ten, ten or eleven years to get here. And so, it's, so the script has been passed around and rewritten multiple times. Um, Phoebe Weller Bridge is in the movie as Andy's goddaughter, but also she took a pass on the script the same way she did for No Time to Die. Um, and uh, they're saying that there, there's a, a character that was apparently written for a draft, they shot some of it and then they discontinued, decided not to move forward with the character, but they left that plot in the movie instead of exercising it completely and so that kind of throws some people off. Um, the de-aging is getting really good reviews, which is nothing surprising to me. Lucasfilm is pretty much the only game in town when it comes to doing those de-aging, technology, those de-aging uh, scenes well. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm nervous because I, I feel hope and as Hawkeye said in in game, "Don't give me hope. <laughs> don't, don't, don't give me the hope that this dude. Because like, there's a large part of me, Chad, that will always feel like he wanted Crystal Skull. Like all of them wanted Crystal Skull to be the send off for the character. Mm-hmm. And because of how poorly it was received, the jokes about Indiana Jones versus the Martians, the heat that George took, the heat that all of them took for it, it seemed like to me that he wanted to go out on a better note. And it reminds me a lot of Daniel Craig, who spent a lot of the time, like Spectre is a movie that literally ends with James Bond getting the girl and driving off into the sunset. Like it is tailor made for him to just like leave and never come back and reboot the series the way it's classically been rebooted over the years. And because it wasn't a financial success, Spectre wasn't, And because it wasn't a box office success, it wasn't, Craig was offered a whole bunch of money and was like, yeah, I'll come back. Uh, And it it worked because he got to do something no other Bond has ever done before, which is die. Um, But also the movie is 15 times better. Like No Time to Die is, to me, as good as Skyfall. I know there are a bunch of Bond folks out there that will persecute me for saying that, but like, I, I actually feel like the movie is better it has more to say than any, any of the Craig bonds, uh, except for skyfall. Um, now again, keep in mind, my favorite reference for bond is, is Pierce Brosnan. And before that, you know, the Connery's and the, and the, and the like, but like, I grew up with the Brosman bond. So like, I'm comparing the Brosman years to the, uh, to, to the uh, Craig years and that's a little bit difficult to do, but like, in my lifetime, the best Bond movie is Skyfall, and I felt No Time to Die was just about as good, and Phoebe Wellerbridge also took a pass on that script. Um, so I kind of just feel like when they went to him after to get him to sign on for, Harris, for Han Solo— in thirteen, because they wanted all three of them back, and and Carrie Fisher was delighted to come back, and so was Mark Hamill. It was it was Ford that was always going to be the sticking point, and I've always felt like he he told Kathleen Kennedy, "I'm not coming back unless you do another another indie. and that was his condition for for playing Harrison for playing Han Solo. I'm also fairly convinced that his other requirement was that he would be dead by the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> and I think he got and he got both, and uh, you know I just think that. Part of the reason why this has taken so long is just finding the right story. I think part of it was they were hoping that that Eds that Steven would direct at some point. When it became became clear he didn't want to do it, they had to move on. Um, there are a lot of reasons why it's taken ten years to get here, but I'm just nervous because it it sounds like it's going to be a like if you're grading on a scale from A to A to F that it's going to be like a a B to a B plus movie, and that just kind of scares me because you know. Even rewatching Crystal Skull, Crystal Skull is still a C movie. So, um, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I don't know, well, well, we have like what two weeks left before we see it.
0: Yeah, and and there'll be plenty between now and then, and there'll be a big deal made about John Williams' final score, and it'll be a big deal that you know Mangold is is gonna you know has allegedly ridden ridden his Star Wars movie off the back of this because of course Kathleen Kennedy. And Frank Marshall are producers on this film, and so they worked closely with him in the filmmaking process. So that's kind of how they got a working relationship, and then that's what leads to the Star Wars movie. Um, So, I mean, you're going to hear a lot about that. I mean, sure he's going to get asked a ton of questions about his his old Republic Star Wars movie that he's he's now supposed to be making on the press tour. Um, I'm sure Harrison Ford will get asked about... um, uh Brave New World which which again is a better title than New World Order in terms of like geopolitical concepts but again I just kind of feel like somebody at Disney finally figured out what New World Order meant and was like let's come up with a more orwellian title please um but yeah it, it it'll be a fun couple of weeks leading up to it and I'm glad that they got the guy who plays uh, John Reese Davies to come back because he's pretty much the last of the original actors still around and you know, it it I I'm hopeful and that's a scary
1: place to be for me as a movie fan. Well, uh, you know, as I as, as a person that's been on the wrong side of these things quite frequently, I'm hoping for the best for you. I don't really have a dog in the fight, but I would like to see, you know, a a good last Indiana oh. Jones movie.
0: Well that that's the thing for me is like I don't how do I say this? Like I don't expect last crusade. Last Crusade is like talk about on the podcast is my favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. Mm -hmm. And I like it better than, I like it better than Raiders and all three of those movies are classics. I don't expect this to be that, but I do expect it to be better than Crystal Skull and (laughs) Indiana Jones versus the interdimensional aliens. Um, You know, Cate Blanchett has a stellar record. Uh, That movie is not one of them. Um, But like, that's all I want. Like, if it ends up being what everybody's saying it is and it ends up being a B, B-plus movie, that is far better than Crystal Skull. And then I'm happy because this old man's going to die and he's going to take the character with him. And this is the last shot I got for him to write off in the sunset in a positive way.
1: Oh, uh, here here's hoping.
0: Indeed. So that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Movies on the Brain podcast. If you wanna follow this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW fan.
1: I'm at the Mets Theory.
0: And the podcast is on Twitter at on the Movie on the Brain Pod. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening.